this is just for the listeners at home, this was not planted in any way. I didn't know this was happening, but I'm really happy you brought this up because I've actually thought about it, at least a few of these like many times and how like the one-to-one is so direct. It's kind of remarkable. So the okay. standout to me. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another hard train. If your golf game's off the rails, you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you come to the right place. We help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again. Because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. I'm Evan, one of your co-hosts. Matt Cermak couldn't make it this week, so it's just me. But guys, this episode was such a thrill. I cannot wait to get you to this interview with Ben Clymer. But first, we have to thank our friends at Rowback Activewear. I'm wearing a crew neck sweatshirt right now on my interview with Ben. I went to a million different things over the holidays with my in-laws and my family, and I went to a brunch in the city. I went to a Christmas Eve dinner. I went to the golf course. I went around this town. I met an old college friend for coffee. Guess what? Every activity that I just mentioned, I was able to wear rowback. I dressed it up with a crew neck sweatshirt and a polo underneath and their golf pants. I wore joggers and a hoodie. I wore shorts to the gym. I wore their performance tees around the house. They basically have it all. Roback.com, enter the code TRAIN, get 15% off. If you didn't like the gift you got or you got some um, Visa gift cards or whatever, throw it into the Roback train because the stuff is the best. I'm telling you, everything they make is better than the last thing they made. So Roback.com, enter the code TRAIN, get 15% off. Okay. I have a confession. This is probably the most excited I've been for an interview since David Free's World Series MVP um, from the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm from St. Louis. The 2011 World Series was like one of the greatest moments of my life as a sports fan. So to get David Freeze on and talk golf and baseball and mindset was one of the biggest pinch me moments. How did I get here moments? This feels eerily similar, which shows how unhealthy and maybe concerning my watch obsession is becoming ever since my wife got me a tutor for my wedding a little over a year ago. I now watch watch content. I love talking about watches. I love looking at watches. I'm obsessed. I love how they make you feel. And so getting Ben Clymer on the podcast, which people have called him the godfather of watches, you know, founder of Houdinki.com. He also co-founded the Fair Game Golf app with Adam Scott, which we talk about at the end. He's a six handicap. Huge golfer, loves golf. He loves golf, watches, and cars are his three big passions. And he loves all things beautiful. And I think this episode, to give you a bit of a a heads up, if you don't like watches, I know a ton of you do. I got more messages about asking Ben questions than maybe any guest we've ever had. Those questions are at the very end. I did a little rapid fire. If you're not into watches, go about halfway in. And then we start talking more so about golf, but I will tell you, even if you're not a big watch guy or gal, we do kind of talk about the crossover throughout. So I hope you guys love this as much as I did. Thank you to Ben for coming on. You can follow Ben at Ben Clymer, B-E-N-C-L-Y-M-E-R. Download the Fair Game golf app. It's a great way to meet up with people um, that are just like you on the golf course. Uh, Hodinky.com, the Hodinky app. We did a lot of fun stuff in this interview, so I hope you guys like it. And no matter where you hit it, no matter how cold it is outside, just enjoy the ride. Take care, guys. Ben Clymer, it's my pleasure. Welcome aboard the Par Train, my man. Your first time riding? 
Appreciate having First you time on. riding. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a virgin <laughs> rider. So thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a thrill to be here. I'm a fan and, uh, you know, happy to talk about golf, watches, mental game, whatever there is to say. Yeah, I'm personally, I was just telling you off air, this is extra fun for me because I get to talk about something I don't normally get to talk about, which is watches. And it's yeah. probably a little bit fun for you because you get to talk about the other thing you love, golf, yeah. which you probably don't get to talk about as often as you'd like as well. So um, that's for sure. Not, not fun as, for not, both of us. Absolutely. Not not as much as I would like, for sure. Uh, I just, I was, as you well know, I was just down in South Carolina with my in-laws and I got to play once down there and it was such a treat. So I, I live in, in the New York area and as, as, as you know, the seats like golf just shuts down for basically six months of the year up here. And we are right in the middle of it right now. So to get out there and play last week was, was a treat for sure. See, I've been on the West Coast now for 10 years. What is that yeah. like when it shuts down as a golf nut? Do you go into it, simulator mode? Do you go into swing fix mode? It's the worst. I mean, it's objectively the worst because, you know, as somebody who, I, so background of me as a golfer, I played in high school on the team, like junior varsity varsity team. But like I wasn't, I wasn't a superstar. Like I was just there to kind of like drink and smoke with my friends and have a good time, you know, get out yeah. of the gym class. And then I stopped playing completely during kind of like the, the, the years where I was incredibly driven to make Hodinkee my business into something meaningful. I just did not play because I didn't do anything but work basically. And then when I met the well-known golfer, Adam Scott, probably five or six years ago, he kind of got me back into it and I've fallen deep, deeply in love with it. But as somebody that likes to go, you know, there's kind of memes on of me on, on the internet saying this, but I like to go very deep on things. Like I really want to understand stuff and really take things to the farthest level I possibly can. Otherwise kind of what's the point. And so for me living in the Northeast, like golf, as, as we just said, like sh truly shuts down, you know, like I, I haven't played, I played last week in South Carolina, but before that I hadn't played here since probably October, you know, early October, something like that. Wow. And granted, I've been busy with work. I got two kids and a job and whatever, but it really is challenging for me. I do have access to a simulator that I really just started using. It's not the same as, as we all know, it's like not even close to the same. And for me, and this, this is a nice parlay into kind of why we're here and why you guys exist. Like a big part of golf for me is actually like the mental benefits of it and like the social aspects of it. And simulator is not that simulator is just whacking balls into a screen right. and it's fun. It's, it's better than nothing, but like some would argue like it's actually not better than nothing because it's not real golf at all. It's kind of like, it's a little bit of a tease. It's a little bit of a, you know, dipping the toe into golf, but you're not actually getting what I think are the greatest benefits of it. Um, so for me, it, you kind of shut down for a month or two, you know, maybe take a trip down to Florida or, you know, California or someplace warm where you can swing a little bit, but it, it's not the same. And you really feel like you're rebuilding year after year. And so, you know, my, my golf game has gotten progressively, I wouldn't say worse, but like it hasn't really, it hasn't really uh, gotten any better over the past few years. A, because I've got kids now and I just can play a lot less. Uh, and B, because you really start over year after year. You know, every spring, every April, you're really starting over. And that, that is a total bummer for, for those of you on the West Coast that wouldn't understand that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We talk a lot about range versus course. We've had every sports psychologist on. You can imagine that obviously talks about how the range is different than the course. It's not the same. Sure. We shouldn't expect that. But I feel like simulators is even a different level of that. I feel yeah. like it's easy to get, you said it's kind of a tease, right? It's, it, yeah, I, I think it, simulators even more so than the range is a bit of a tease. It, it is. I mean, it's like you know, the very, the very term simulator, right? Like this is yeah. effectively like you're simulating reality. Like it's right. not even, it, this is not VR either, right? Like this is like literally like, you know, a 2D projection onto like what is not even a high definition screen. It's pretty shitty, you know, by, by today's standards. I'm actually surprised. I'm sure there does exist something that's like, you know, 100 grand plus that like is an amazing experience. Maybe when Apple VR comes out, we'll see it. But like, it's a pretty janky experience for, for anybody. And like, I have looked into finding, 
you know, better ways to do it. And there's really just not without spending, you know, six figures plus to, to do it. It's not the same thing. I am a decent golfer. Like I'm like a, you know, mid single digit handicap. But like when I play on simulators, I've got one of my friends who's the CEO of Hodinkee, who's a golfer as well. Occasionally we'll meet up at a simulator just to kind of talk about work or what have you. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, out of the, let's say 20 times we've played, he's beaten me in real life one time, but on the simulator, he beats me every time. Mm. Uh, and it's just, I just can't, it just doesn't vibe with my, with my shit. You know, sometimes yeah. it works, sometimes it doesn't. And that's he's a okay. sim guy. Uh, he's a sim guy. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff Fowler, shout out. But uh, yeah, he's the same guy. I'm a real life guy. But again, like for me, like more than 50% of why I play golf is getting outside, being with people I enjoy, getting exercise. I walk mostly, occasionally carry. It's a different world over here on the East Coast for sure in the Northeast. Totally. Well, we're going to get to that. We're going to talk watches. We're going to talk golf. We're going to dig into your game a bit. But before we start digging in, I'm going to start this interview in a bit of an unusual way. Probably in a way that you've never started an interview before. Are you into rom-coms? Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen quite a few. I wouldn't say I'm into them, but I've, I've seen quite a few, yeah. Would you agree that How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is one of the best? Yeah, it's up there. No question. Okay. All right. So His name is Ben in that, in that film. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The reason I bring this up, it'll make sense in a second, is okay. I've always loved... And I, I started my career in advertising. I worked for TaylorMade's agency. So I started in golf and ad advertising. So a guy that's, you know, who is it? Kate uh, Hudson. Kate Hudson, Kate yeah, Hudson yeah. with the yellow dress, mix in McConaughey and the ad- advertising side. I loved it, right? Yeah, my favorite sure. rom-com. But the Frost Yourselves event. Do you think <laughs> yes. that event is possible today, but with men and watches, men or women, but likely more men? Uh, uh, I think you could have an event like that where you walk in, you hand them your ID and credit card, you pick out whatever watch you want to wear for the remainder of the event, mm-hmm. and then you return it back at the end. Is that possible? I think it is. I mean, I think, look, there's many different, and I've talked about this ad nauseum elsewhere on my own podcast and other, you know, there are so many different facets of the watch community. That they're, like the, the Frost Yourself event from that that epic film of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is is a funny one because it's like in many ways i don't want to say it was superficial but like you know it was a really kind of like surface level approach towards why a woman would want to wear diamonds or what have you right and i think you know the the you know the thing that i'm probably most proud of with hoodinky is like we kind of avoided those those traps of like saying hey you know these are just these are talismans or these are um you know these are totems for how much money you have and right. so I think an event like that could exist and I think it could be fun, but it's just a matter of like how it doesn't become kind of like a dick measuring contest, you know, really quickly mm. of like, Hey, I have more money than you, therefore I choose this. But I think an event like that could be fun if, if done the right way is should, should we do that? Is that, is that where this is headed? I mean, I've always kind of wanted to do that. So <laughs> I was asking just like, is it possible? Is it too risky? Is how many no, guards do you not... have to have at the door? You know, like Look, I mean, we we've we've done events with with big brands hosted by them, by us, whatever, with you know probably twenty to fifty million in, in watches in one room. You know, and like wow. you know, is this you know all all you really need to do is find a location where there's one entrance and guard it with a man trap and with a guy with a gun, and like you're gonna be fine. You know, yeah, which yeah. is like shockingly easy to do, uh, having done it many times over the past fifteen years. So it's definitely doable. And, you know, I've been to events where like, you know, I'm talking like large scale events, like in Switzerland, where there's billions in, in watches in, in one location, you know, and we, we've never had any issues. That's not to say there aren't issues, but it, it's it's easier to do than you might think as long as you just come prepared. Okay, good to know. I will put that in my yeah. back pocket and know that anything okay. is possible in the watch is possible. golf event space. Good to know. No question. 
Okay. So another interesting way to start is to have you help me diagnose my problem um, and understand how I got here. So Mm -hmm. to give you a bit of context, and this will give our, we call them the passengers, our listeners. This will give the passengers a little context on me in the watch world too, because I've never talked about my love for watches other than maybe on Instagram a little bit once I started getting into it. And once we, you know, knew that you were coming on, which by the way, huge crossover, a lot of watch nerds um, also love golf, which you knew already, but especially in our audience, little context. I've always loved watches, but I purely would buy watches based on liking the look of them. I didn't know what kind of watch it was. I didn't know the brand. I didn't know anything about it, right? So the big one for me was probably a Movado. Spending $600 on a watch was a big deal, right? Then last August, not this past August, but the August before, so a little over a year ago, my wife and I got married. And thank you. And I didn't even know this at the time. This is how much of a newbie I was. I didn't know that I liked diver watches, Mm -hmm. right? I just knew I liked that look. So I go to Century City Mall with my wife here in LA. Yeah greatest mall in the country, in my opinion. And I go into a Breitling store. I'm looking, I'm thinking like three to five K it's like a huge drop, but I I've always wanted a really nice watch, right? This is the excuse to get it for the wedding. We walk into a Tudor boutique. Yeah. I never heard of Tudor. I start understanding the connection between them and Rolex. And I find this guy, the heritage black watch. Okay. Didn't even know anything about what a Black Bay is. Didn't know the heritage and modern kind of thing. And then here we are. We ended up spending six weeks in Europe. We lived and worked there in Scotland. Um, And before bed, now the funny thing is our Airbnb didn't have a lot of TV, right? It was like local channels and like five channels. And so suddenly I'm watching YouTube before bed. I have gone from someone that doesn't know anything about watches to I watch one to three watch videos per night before bed. <laughs> I'm really and, sorry. And now I've got a whole kind of, what would you call it? I have milestones in my head with a very specific watch of what I want to get when I hit those milestones. Right. Yeah, let's talk about it. What, what do you How think? did I get here? Help me understand the phases of watch obsession. Why is it that when I got my first luxury dive watch, my first yeah. real watch, let's say, why is it that I've turned into an obsessive enthusiast future collector? What happened? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think that the psychology of both a golfer and a watch collector are not dissimilar. And this is something I've thought a lot about and read a lot about and written a lot about, frankly. Yep. You know, the, the idea of, oh, I mean, look, we can get there are many different approaches here. I mean, I, I think fundamentally, you know, and you can tell me if you want to go down this avenue or not. Like fundamentally, it's it's very challenging for 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 men to make friends, ultimately. And I, I think what what the watch community does really well, and I think he's a big part of that. And I think what the golf community does really well is provide avenues for men to to have social elements. And I think you know, many years ago, I'll, I'll stick with watches. Many years ago, the watch community was really disparate. It was you've got these these forums one of them was called uh, the purists which is really based out of singapore you have one called time zone which is based out of here in new york but you get these little cabals of people that are like gangs it's like okay it's the purists versus time zone these guys really like 
they were arguments and there were like rivalries between these two things. There was nothing mm-hmm. in the middle and there was nothing that was broadcast out. They were they were basically gated communities that were kept inwards. And if you or if I wanted to join as a young younger guy, they would say, oh, well, if you, you're only buying a Rolex or a Tudor, you're not buying a Patek or an AP, then like you're not really for us. And then sites like ours, and there were a few others as well, went came along and said, hey, like we're going to change things. They like, let's broadcast this for everybody and really make it in- inclusive, you know? And look, I mean, watches, nor neither watches nor golf are the most inclusive things on earth, as, as I'd be the first to admit. Right. But inclusive in the sense that we allow anybody to enter it however they like. And if you want to only buy Tudor Black Bays for the rest of your life, like that's cool. I know people that do that. I have a few myself. Or if you want to go heavy and get Jaegers and Pateks and Langes and, you know, whatever. That's okay too. But I think what, what, you know, if you're a golfer, which you obviously are, like you have this tendency to want to understand things a little bit more. And I'm happy to say that Hodinkee and others have provided a platform or several platforms on which you can really go and learn and understand more about things. And just like there's so many reasons why a person could love to, to play the game of golf. It could be athletic. It could be social. It could be mental. It could be anything. Yep. The same is true for watches. And I think like going back to, you know, I don't want to say the pushback, but some of the consideration I, I kind of had about the, you know, the, uh, the how to lose a guy, you know, question is like, you know, there are guys that buy watches solely to say, hey, dude, like, check out this $50,000 watch I got. And then there are guys that like don't care at all what it costs and they only care about the design. And then there are other people that only care about the movements. And then there are other people that frankly don't even care about the watch. They just want to be friends with the guys that like watches, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it is incredibly easy to to fall down the same rabbit hole that you might with golf with watches because hey you don't have to leave your bedroom right like you can like you know golf youtube is like there's some great folks out there there's some i'm just like there's some great golf podcasts out there but others not so great same is true for watches but with watches like you actually like to to participate in the world of watches you don't need to go onto the course or to a driving range or to a simulator you can really do it from your living room or a shopping mall century city or or anything you want Right. So there is just such a myriad of overlap between the, the things that drive men that are into watches as there is with golf. But ultimately, I think it is, you know, the pursuit of community and pursuit of understanding things that is, is slightly off the beaten path. And I think both golf and watches are, you know, at surface level could be perceived as exclusive, as maybe even obnoxious. Uh, but I think there are ways to appreciate both of those things. And I think that, that I, I do, at least I hope I do. That is really authentic. And I mean that in like a psych, you know, like psychiatric term. It's like a way that like you really do appreciate something for what it is and the benefits that it, that it extols, less so the the kind of like social connotations that, that one might perceive it to be. Yeah, it's funny because I've always said context is king. Everyone says content is king, but context is almost just as important. And when I started learning about my tutor yeah. and how it's inspired by heritage elements of, of Rolex, I was like, oh my God, that's why I like vintage watches because it's a modern take on a heritage design and it made me appreciate what I got. I didn't even know what I got at the time. Oh, it's a great watch. And I didn't know the rise of Tudor. I didn't know that it had been basically nowhere to be found, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And that made me appreciate it. So I guess what you're saying is my Tudor is like my first pure five iron when I'm starting out in golf. It gave me the bug. Per se. Yep. Yeah. Or, or I would say maybe, I mean, taking it a step further and kind of bring it back to, to my own experience, like your, your tutor is probably like the first time you got fitted for clubs. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, like buying something point. off the rack is, is one thing. It's like, okay, like I, you know, I can hit a good shot every now and then, but then when you get fitted, you, at least my experience was like, when I got fitted, everything changed for me. And yeah. I was like a decent, you know, again, I played in high school, so I kind of knew what I was doing, but I wasn't good. 
And then when I got my, my first set of fitted irons, and this happened only five years ago, it changed everything. And I was like, holy shit, like, you know, I can play this game so much better and in a way that is designed for me that I just find it so much more enjoyable. Mm, that's a good one. I like that. All right. So speaking of golf versus watches, yeah. I created a little bit of a game for you. Okay. And you can do this as you can do five, you can do six, you can do three, you can do 10 Okay. if you Sounds want. good. Um, okay. I'm going to share my screen. I've never done this on a podcast before. We've done almost 300 episodes, Yeah. but I'm so fascinated by the connection of golf versus watches. I thought this would be sure. fun. Okay. Okay. Can you see this? Mm. Yes, I can. Okay. I'm calling this a little match play golf watch match play. Okay. <laughs> I know, you know, brands as well as anyone on both sides. Yeah, I do. So you can choose and it doesn't need to be one-to-one. -one. You can create clusters. You tell yeah. me. Which golf brands, and by the way, for the passengers that are listening, this will be on YouTube if you want to see the visual. Um, yep. But which golf brands do you think line up really well with which watch brands and why? You know, I'm really, I, I, just for the listeners at home, this was not planted in any way. I didn't know this was happening, but I'm really happy you, you brought this up because I've actually thought about at least a few of these like many times and how like the one-to-one -one is so direct, it's kind of remarkable. So the, okay. the standout to me is Titleist and Rolex. Okay. Like those, those two brands just, sure. Those two brands just belong together. You know, they are in, in many ways kind of like dominant forces. They are market leaders. They are for, for, you know, air quotes, purists, but also people that like think they're purists, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So you get, you know, you get Titleist players that are, you know, like you know, my friend, Adam Scott used to play Titleist as, as a, as a tour player for years and years and years. And like even his mirrors that, that he just came out with recently are almost designed after these Titleist plays that he played. Yep. Um, Rolex would be the same, but also you know, Titleist also is like, people know that name first with Rolex. You obviously like know that name first. I would say Callaway and Omega go together um which you know again i i, I play i have played callaway apexes for a long time i actually just got fitted for some titles recently look i love omega i love them i mean it's arguably the reason why i got into watches to begin with i have a ton of them my grandfather's watch included but you know th there's no question that like at least from a brand perspective it, it plays a second fiddle to, to rolex and I, I think in many ways even though at times, you know, the Callaway product is as good or better than, than Titleist. It, it too plays kind of a second fiddle in terms of that, that purity and the connotation within the community. Let's keep going here. Okay, so th there's one that I, that I would argue is not on the list, but should be. So Mira, which I adore and actually have, I've got the, this is also not a plant. I really do keep this by my desk. I've got a Mira. I saw that right you posted. Here. I have Mira here, here, by the way. Do you really? Yeah. Okay, so you got Mira. Oh what yeah, I, I knew I knew you would want to throw Mira in, so I threw it in. Oh, I love I love Mira. So yeah. I've been playing Mira wedges forever. I would argue that they are in fact a brand called a Langenson Langa, uh, okay. which is a German brand, which is not on the list here. But they are so much better than they need to be in every way, from a design perspective, from a manufacturing perspective, etc. They're just so special, and I think they you know they're both kind of small batch, really expensive, kind of doing things the air quotes right way mm -hmm. forever so I, I think mira and longa would go together okay, I can uh, add that for in. me sure i would also say and i that... threw in scotty cameron i mean i don't yeah. have other putter brands but it's a big brand i threw it in it's a big brand yeah look i think i think scotty probably belongs with it's either pet tech or ap i think it's probably pet tech it's probably pet tech and i've used scotty cameron putters for years i actually I have one of those right here next to my desk as well they are synonymous with quality you know they're synonymous with with prestige etc 
you know, it's it's a different thing because Scotty only makes putters, obviously. So I think that makes sense. You know, moving on down the line, look, I think Kirkland, I've never hit him. I've never played a Kirkland ball, but I've heard they're amazing. I would probably put that with Seiko, um, okay. which is like a great place to start. Like my dad is a terrible golfer. He, he plays golf all the time, but he's truly, like truly <laughs> bad at golf. Yeah. And he, and I love you, dad. Um, and he plays Kirkland balls. And like he, you know, the watch that I inherited from him, he's still, still around, but uh, it's a Seiko watch. And so I think it, it kind of makes sense. Like it was like shockingly high quality for, for the price. Look, I think I think PXG is probably AP Automotive Piguet, mm-hmm. um, and I'd be curious what what Francois, who's the outgoing CEO of AP, would think about that because yep. uh, he's a golfer as well. But I think that makes sense to me. The other brands on here, I'll be honest, I don't know enough about on the golfing side to really say where where they belong. Maybe I don't I don't want to I don't want to slight anybody here by saying that like Mizuno is a is a tutor when Titleist is Rolex or something like that. Yeah. But I feel really really good about the six on um, the six connections on on the right hand side there. Okay. No, I think this is. I I thought you were going to say Kirkland was Casio, but you know Kirkland's I like Casio. I. I, I love Casio. Like, you know, we we do a lot of stuff with Casio. I've got a yeah. design for one literally over here on, on my left. But I think Kirkland, you know, Kirkland is still doing really high-end things in a traditional, I shouldn't say that. They're not, they're not doing really high-end things. They're doing really high-quality things. Yeah, you're right. Um, and Seiko, you know, a Seiko 5 watch for 100 bucks that you can buy on Amazon is an amazing mechanical watch. You know, I view Casio as somebody that's just doing something else entirely, you know? Uh, so, like, Casio would be, like, I don't even know, like who's the best like simulator brand or something like that. You know, somebody that's doing something in this space, yeah. but is, is a little bit different. Uh, yeah. But again, I feel really, really good about Titleist Rolex, Callaway Omega, Mira Langa, Scotty Patek, Kirkland Seiko, PXGA, AP. That, that feels good to me. Okay. I like yeah. that. I think I selfishly uh, wanted to see TaylorMade and Tudor because those are the two things that I, that I play and that I so have. I, 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 I could see it, but, but, but you know, I, look, I, I have, I love Tudor. I mean, like, love them. I've got a bunch, including some of the old ones, but I just don't know. And I've ne- literally never hit a tailor made product ever. Really? In my life. I don't wow. know why. I have, I, no, I have nothing against them. I, I don't yeah. know why. I've just never, I didn't play them growing up. When I, whenever I get fitted, like, they're just not even in the conversation. And I don't even know why. And when I get fitted, I go to true spec and try to be like totally as brand agnostic as possible. And for some reason, they're just like not part of the equation. And again, nothing, nothing but love for them. I, I just, yeah, know. no, it's interesting how you kind of, I think that's what I, maybe that's another reason why I, I had the experience I did with watches is I was kind of looking for my brand, right? Looking yeah. for my space in there. And like you said, golfers want to, we're a little bit more curious you know, and I'm, I'm naturally a curious guy. And so yeah. I didn't want to just choose anything, you know? Um, and yeah. so once you kind of find your place, you could kind of say the same thing about a Titleist guy versus a TaylorMade guy. I mean, there's definitely crossover. People have mixed bags, but, but yeah, that was fun. Yeah, Thank it, you for going yeah, through that, that. That was, that was like, that was like more fun than I would like to admit. Like I would, <laughs> I could do stuff like that all day. Cause I also like the, the other serious passion line is cars. Yeah. And I think about, and I'm also, as, as you said, like I'm very much a brand guy. Like that's probably my, my greatest strength as, as an entrepreneur is like building brand. But yeah, that was, that was like a shocking amount of fun for me. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, Ben, great segue. You're not only a brand guy, you're a great podcast host. Cause what a segue, what scenario would be the most unbearable for you? You can never wear a watch again. Yeah. You can never pick up a golf club again. You can never drive a car again. Oh, wow. That's uh that's an excruciating question. Um, yeah. 
Look, I think there, there's the pragmatic side of me, which is surely not what you're looking for here, which would be like driving a car would make life really difficult, you know, like not mm-hmm. driving a car. So the pragmatic answer would be that. But that's like probably not the question or the answer we're really looking for here. I think, you know, from an enthusiast perspective, I probably get the most joy out of golf at this point. I'm not saying that just because I'm on the golf podcast. Like it, it really does combine so many things that I that I value in life together. Look, I love watches. I've got more of them than anything. It is my career as well. But, you know, like I think if I were able to not wear but see the one watch and I have it over there in a frame, a frame print, uh, if I were able to own one watch, even if I couldn't put it on, which would be my grandfather's Omega, like that mm-hmm. would keep me happy. I wouldn't necessarily need to wear it. But I think not playing golf again would, would really be a bummer for me, for sure. It, uh, you know, it brings me, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about this or not, but like it has brought me closer to so many people as like as authentic friends over the past five years that it just means a, a whole hell of a lot to me for sure would it be weird if you showed up to events not wearing a watch it'd be weird but it also so th- there's a guy that is a very well-known collector in in, the, in our little world that we did talking watches with he's kind of you know i wouldn't say famous but like you know well-known in our world that's had one of the greatest watch collections in the world he probably wears a watch i don't know three days a year something like that like really? to his wedding or to an event yeah it, wow look, I, Look, I mean, I think ultimately, like for me, would it be that weird? Probably not. Would it be weird for those around me as like the watch guy? Maybe. You know, like, I think like the number one thing that I get asked when I get stopped on the street from people that recognize me or whatever is like, what are you wearing? Of course, what watch you wearing? Right. So it, it'd be weirder for them than it would be for me. Um, and like, I mean, as, as you know, you may or may not find out someday with kids, like it's uh, with kids, like just priorities change. And like, you know, I live upstate. I got two little fucking kids that are running around like crazy, just puking on me nonstop. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I'm not wearing a, a Patek or a Langa up here every day. Like today I'm wearing yeah. a day date, but like, it's a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm dressed like moderately nicely today, but right. like yesterday I was not. And it's a, uh, you know, it, it sometimes watches make sense. Sometimes they don't up here. I, I do wear a Tudor black Bay 58 often up here or, oh, uh, awesome. or G shock or, you know, something that's a little bit more, more, you know, wearable. Up here. Although as you've learned from your friend, John Mayer, he scoops shit wearing a patek so he does you know he does he does and, and to be clear i've definitely cleaned shit for my <laughs> yeah. for my son's butt recently wearing a patek i i have a, a one patek that i really just love that i got married in that i wear for like you know, christmas day and stuff like that and like as i've said i've got two kids under two both of them are in diapers still like yep. i'm literally wiping shit off their ass all the time wearing a, a patek it's just like it's just life and i think like that's that's the way to enjoy these things. And not that you've asked about this, but I think the biggest frustration that I've had with watches in this community around there over the past five years is that or the COVID years really is that everything is viewed as an investment. And it's like that, that protect cost me an unbelievable amount of money, like more money than I ever thought I'd be able to afford on spend on anything, but I wear it because it's mine. Like I'm, I don't right. think of it as like, it's not part of my balance sheet. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like someone says, Hey, like how much do you have in watches? And I include that. Like, I don't, like that's my watch and it's going to be my, my daughters or my son someday. Um, and so I don't really care. I, I, I was about to say, I don't care what happens to it. That's not true. I don't care if it gets a little dinged up because it's not going, anywhere, you know, and right. I think that that is the best way to enjoy watches or cars or, or anything. Really. All right, guys, stay seated. Keep those seatbelts fast and we'll get you right back to the show. But first, I just wanted to come on here and say that I've been thinking a lot about what to do differently and what to do more of in 2024. And video is really the thing that keeps coming to mind. You know, I've reflected a lot recently about when you hear a creator or someone you follow on social media say, follow me here, follow me there. Sometimes it can just feel like this, you know, surface level thing where they're just trying to grow their channels as much as possible to make 
more money and get more sponsors and all that stuff. And I know that's part of it, but I just wanted to come on here and genuinely say that when I say go follow our email list at thepartrain.com or follow our YouTube channel, which is going to be a huge focus for us in, in 2024 at the par train. That to me is saying, I genuinely just want to create the greatest community in golf, not even in golf, just the best community that we can, a community that supports people, a community that helps you genuinely enjoy the ride, no matter what's happening in your life. I mean, what could be more valuable than learning things that can help you smile in a situation where previously you you would have wanted to leave the room, right? Something that can help you get back on track and enjoy your round when a year ago you would have wanted to quit after nine. You know, that's the stuff I care about. That's the stuff that has changed my life and that's the stuff I want to change in yours. So when I say hop aboard our YouTube channel, it's because I want to create stuff that delivers even more value to you and helps your life. And I'm saying that from the bottom of my heart. So if you like the podcast and you follow us on social media, keep your eyes on everywhere else we do stuff, especially YouTube and our email list, because I'm going to be putting a lot of time, effort, and money into that because I want to help everybody. And I want to help myself and I want to help you and I want to help each other, and I want to go through it together and create this awesome community. So if you guys have ideas or other places that you think we could be doing things, if we could be doing a better job, I think all the time about, you know, should we have a an exclusive community where we do, you know, group chats or weekly or monthly Zooms, question and answer periods, live podcast opportunities where you guys can ask live questions while we're interviewing someone like, I don't know. I don't dive into the whole subscriber thing because I want to make sure I do it right and I want to make sure we're doing it well. So if you have any ideas, DM us at The Par Train on Instagram or email us via our website, thepartrain.com. But yeah, thank you guys as always for hopping aboard. And I just want to come on here and let you guys know that's how I'm thinking about things. So thanks as always. Let's get back to the show. Before we get to golf, I got a couple more. Yeah that I have to ask from a uh, sure. watch standpoint. So help me understand when people say a superior movement, obviously in-house yeah. movement gets talked about a lot. I recently yeah. learned a lot about it with the tutors and how that kind of took tutor to a different place when they brought it in-house. Yeah. Why yeah. is that so valuable and so important? What is actually the difference or significance there? Yeah, it's it's not honestly. I mean, I think it's like it's it's. I don't I don't know what. Oh, okay, I'll give you an analogy for the golf world. It's like forged irons. It's Got like it. okay, like are forged irons like that much better? Like yeah, like I think they probably are a little bit better. You can you know you can do things with them that you might not be able to do with 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 cast irons or whatever. Yeah. But is it really going to change your game that much? Like probably unless you're unless you're like unless you're a zero, you know, a scratch or a pro, like it's not going to mean that much. And I think so. The the history of in house versus out of house was. Effectively, all through historical you know period of, of, of watchmaking up until really the two thousands, there were company called there were companies that would make e bouch movements, which are base movements, mm -hmm. and then that those e bouches would be sent to I'm going to say Patek, Vacheron, AP, who are competitors, like you know direct direct rivals, and then AP, Patek, and and Vacheron would then finish them differently. And, you know, Lamania was one of them. Um, uh, Valjou was another one. You know, what was in the Daytona was in also the Carrera and a Universal and a Wackman and all these other watches throughout history. Nobody cared. Like, you're buying the brand, you weren't buying the movement. 
Then in, in the 90s and 2000s, things started to go in-house. And people, the, the Swiss, who are masters of marketing, began to position the idea of an in-house movement as superior to these eBash or these based movements. Are they? Maybe. But sometimes maybe not. And I think, you know, it, it really became a question of where you where what you value and, and kind of what you what you want to pay for. And so, you know, there are there have been a lot of examples where like very high end, you know, very perceived very high end brands would manufacture their own in-house movement. But the quality was actually inferior to these eBash movements. And so if you look at there, there's a very famous movement called the Lamania 2310 that the Omega Speedmaster used, but it was also used in the Patek 5970 and Vacherons and, and and you know other high-end watches like that and you know then in the late 90s the Kalanga that i mentioned the german company came out with their own version of a high-end chronograph and it was better looking than those that those lamani movements was it better who's to say did it have a longer power reserve no it did not did it have better finishing yes it did was it thicker yes it was if, I mean, if you want visual uh, variety and visual stimulation then yeah it was better it was made by somebody that was not uh, an eBash manufacturer, so that's kind of interesting. But it, it had a lower power reserve. It was dramatically thicker. So it, it like it really just depends on on what you as an individual value. But I think like the the in house thing was really really uh, salient probably five years ago with with guys like yourself, guys like me, kind of younger guys getting into it as as a real value driver. And I think that that's dissipated a little bit today because. Uh, so like Tudor is 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 they own a company called Kinesi, which also supplies movements to Chanel, uh, to Breitling, uh, to a company called Norcane. And it's like, okay, like would you would you put a Norcane on the same level as a Tudor if they use the same movement? Like I, I wouldn't because like a movement isn't the only thing that makes a car, right? Like right. you can put a Ferrari engine in a Toyota Camry, it doesn't make it a Ferrari. It gives right. you the same horsepower, but like the handling, the fit, the finish is not the same. So I you know the idea of in-house is I don't want to call it passe because it is a hyper relevant thing for for people that are getting into watches but i wouldn't put a ton of stock in it and i think that like you know if you look at some of the greatest watches in, in history like vintage patek etc very few of them have completely in-house movements and i think that doesn't that doesn't devalue them in, in any way so it's, it's a very easy trap to fall into but i i wouldn't i wouldn't go totally i wouldn't be totally allow yourself to be submerged in that trap if that makes sense yeah that was definitely one of the things that i've learned over these last six months that were like Everyone talks, I've seen videos where like, it's got a shitty movement. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> what does that mean, right? I mean, it's like, look, yeah. they're, they're, look I can I can show you, I don't, I don't have it here, obviously, but you know, I, I can show you, a, I'll say a Philippe Dufour Simplicity, which is like a very, very simple, it, hours, minutes, seconds, that's it. But it's finished, it's decorated to a very high degree. That's an exceptionally well-decorated movement, but it's, it, it is not a complicated movement. Then I can show you a, a split-second perpetual calendar based on a value 7750, which is a very simple unfinished movement, but it's highly complicated. Which one's better? You know, one of them tells you the hours, minutes, and seconds. The other one tells you uh, seconds times two. It tells you the date, the date, the leap year, whatever. Like what, what, what's better? Who knows? You know, and I think that's the thing that is so, so kind of silly or, you know, kind of so uh, it's completely subjective. Like, what are you looking for? You know, and then there's the value. It's like, okay, a fleet before simplicity is going to cost you half a million dollars. You can buy a perpetual IWC with chronograph for $30,000. Like, you know, what are you paying for? What do you, what do you value? So again, I, I would, I would say tread lightly and tread cautiously into those debates of like in-house versus not and what a good movement is. Look, those Seiko movements that we talked about the Seiko watches for a hundred bucks, the Seiko fives, 
those are incredible watches for a hundred bucks. Like incredible. Yeah. I would say they're arguably better than many watches for two thousand dollars. You know. Mm. So, but no, are they finished? Not at all. Like, but that that's okay. They're machine assembled. You know, there's hand finishing versus machine finishing. Mm. There's so much here. Uh, I mean, I could just I, and I have in fact dedicated sixteen <laughs> years of my life talking about it. So I, I will stop talking about it right now. <laughs> well, let me help us transition then from one track to the other. So, thinking about watches versus golf. I think the one thing that watches do maybe better than anything is give us confidence. Yes. You know that you've talked about it for years. I think it's a really cool way to get a boost of confidence in life. Step into, you know, in golf and the mental side, a lot of times we talk about this concept of act as if you step into the the type of player that you want to be. You, How would you swing? How would you feel if you were going to stripe it down the middle? And then you step into the yep. shot, right? Gol- watches yep. kind of help do that too. What helps you feel confident on the course? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And like, you know, in kind of like mentally preparing internally for, for this chat, I started to think about like what it is that really, basically that question, what it is that makes me feel my best. I'm like, I, you know, I'm a six handicap, so like a, a decent player, but not, you know, not close to scratch. But like, I shot a 68 once. I shoot 72s every now and then. Like, really? you know, you ha- yeah, you have those moments, or I've had those moments where you just like break through. And, you know, th- there's a lot, I think back on those days where I break through and have those like, you know, basically scratch rounds. And a lot of it comes down to this is going to sound silly, but this is just how I am. Like, dressing well is, is, is feeling you dress good, play good, you know, dress, dress good, feel good, play good. Like I really believe in that. And like, yeah. I want to wear, and this is going to sound, this is, I'll give you some ideas of my uh, neuroses here and there, I suppose. But like, if, if my clothes are wrinkled, if I show up to like a really great course and my clothes are wrinkled, it drives me insane. Like, it just drives me insane. And like, if the, the days that I tend to play the best, I'm wearing like a khaki pant and a white shirt. And like, that's it. You know, like the, there's very little striping or colors. Like I, like I, you know, I, I try to be like, I'm wearing a Rolex day day. Like I'm a, I'm a pure, so to speak. So like yeah. dressing good, feeling good, playing good tends to go together. The weather certainly plays a, a big part in it. And then weirdly, I started thinking about my best rounds and also that the, I've never had a hole in one, but I came exceptionally close two times this year, like to an inch. Both of those times and my very best rounds all happened in the presence of my cousin who's my best friend and somebody that, you know, I talk about golf with constantly and we grew up together, you know, he's like a brother. Um, and it, it's just so interesting that like those two moments that were almost holes in ones this year and probably my two or three greatest rounds ever all came in the presence of, of my cousin, Justin. Mm. And so I think it is like having that, that security and comfort with the people that I'm playing with that allows me to kind of perform the best. But I think ultimately taking like a, a step back and a broader kind of view on, on the question, like it's those days where like nothing is in my head as ridiculous as that sounds and as, as difficult as that is, right? Like I have, I've got two privately funded businesses, one in golf, one in, one in watches. I'm an investor in many others. I've got two children. I've got a wife, I've got a mortgage, just like everybody else. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that like, it's very easy to get into uh, into somebody's brain, but it's the days where I can kind of block that stuff out and just focus on being present and, and aware that I tend to perform the best. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Dr. Bob Rotella, who's been on the show, it's our most popular episode. It's been a couple of years now. He actually, you know, people talk about mindfulness and that's definitely a tactic to use in yeah. um, life and on the golf course. He likes mindlessness. He wants you to think about nothing. Now, I've had other sports psychologists come on and tell me they don't believe in that, right? They disagree. 
But um, different, yeah. and and Dr. Bobertella has told me he is for the peak top performers, right? If someone has a mental problem or issue, he usually gives them to someone else, right? He's yeah. he's the LeBrons and Rory's of how yeah. to get them to that other level. Um, and he talked about mindlessness a lot. And that's something you hear a lot on this show is yeah. what was I, what happened on that day that, that Ben shot a 68? Well, yeah. I wasn't really thinking about anything. I wasn't thinking about score. I was with someone that I loved. I was looking at the scenery yeah. and boom, that's something it. magical I, happened. I, I, like, I, I would, I've, I've never heard it described as mindlessness, but like that, that is what I subscribe to 100%. Like if, if I can just like, I'm not thinking about anything, I'm just doing like, I'm a decent enough golfer. I'm not trying to change anything. Those are the days that I play the best and, and enjoy it the most. It just, it just happens, you know? And I think like yeah. that is all the people that I, that I know absent of like the pros that have those out of body experiences or, or it's just like, yeah, like it was a Tuesday in July. It was 75 degrees, you know, whatever. My wife was out of town. I just went out to play with my buddies and all of a sudden I shot a 71, you know? And yeah. I think like that is would sell them when you like need it to be, you know, like when you need it to be like at the club championship or member guest or when you're playing your arch nemesis or whatever. It's, it's, I think it's quite the opposite of that, for at least for most people. It's just like, when are you most comfortable? You end up being your, your, your best self. There's a level of detachment here too, because that's kind of how you started your business, at least with yeah. Hodinkee, right? Yeah. Is you did it out of the love of it. You did it to enjoy your time. You didn't have, well, I'm doing it to get this, or I need to do this so that I can get this, which is what we do on the golf course, right? All I need to do is par the last three, or I need to hit fairways today in order to do this. Yeah. You... Do you see the parallel? Maybe talk about that a little bit. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, I think for for me, it's like I've I've never been driven by, I've never been driven by money. I've never been driven by like the the pursuit of things for the for the superficial reasons. Like obviously, I'm a lover of watches and cars and whatever else. And like you need money to have those things. But like it's not about the status. It's about experiencing the thing, you know. And so you know buying a uh, my first pet tech philippe or buying a first car or whatever it, it's it's the, look, the, the social acknowledgement of it all is is x percent but that x percent is sub 10 percent. you know it's like single digit and the remaining 90 plus percent is experiencing something that is 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 exceptionally well done and exceptionally well well made and understanding the the kind of the construct of what that thing is and how it became to be what it is and so i think for Hodinkee, as as you referenced, like there was no business plan. There is now because there has to be. We have investors, etc. But like if it were up to me, I would still be leading by the seat of my pants. I'd be leading by my gut, you know. And I think it, it would be arguable that Hodinkee would be even further if we were still doing that, you know. Yeah. I, I think that is who I am as a person. And the, the you know I've taken a few lessons, not not a ton. I'm not a big lesson guy. Um, and look, they're incredibly helpful. I took one lesson two years ago that taught me how to draw and fade a ball. That, that 30 minutes changed my life for sure. Um, yeah. But like beyond that, like I don't, you know, I've got an incredibly strong grip. There's a video of me and Adam on, on the range where he makes I've fun of how that. strong my, my grip is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bizarre. Like, I don't know where it came from. It's just how I learned to play. I'm not going to change it, you know? And it's just like, look, I'm not trying to compete on the PGA tour. So I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. Um, and I don't like, I just don't think about it because like I'm a six handicap and I got two kids and like, this is who I am. And so I think like the, the mindlessness of it all, the, you know, the kind of, uh, Hey, I'm just here for a good time type of mindset goes, goes really far. And a phrase that, that I've used many times, you know, on, on Hodinkee and, and elsewhere, it's just like, I'm just happy to be here. And and I really, really am. 
And mm. I think that is um, how I approach life. And so, you know, background on me, I grew up in upstate New York, way upstate in, in Rochester, yep. Did not was not a country club kid, you know, really frankly wanted to be, you know, like I would have loved to have the, you know, the wealthy parents that had memberships at Oak Hill and Country Club of Rochester, which are both like in Donald Ross courses up there, really Oak Hill had the PGA last year, but I wasn't. And I think, you know, I look back on that and I think it was a particular yearning that, that was put into me from those, that experience of not being a country club kid, but witnessing it and having friends that were that said, all right, like I, I want certain things. And like, you know, the, the thing would, the thing that I would want would be the ability to play golf whenever I want, like to not have to pay 25 bucks to play at St. John Fisher, which is a nine hole course in my house where I played the most growing up. I now belong to a course up the road here that I can go out and hit balls anytime, anytime I want. And they know me by name and it's just an easy thing. And like joining a country club and it, you know, this is not winged foot or anything like that. Like this is just a local club allowed me to really experience golf to its max and practice and have my own comfort level there that didn't exist elsewhere. And so I think, you know, again, I'm just happy to be here in terms of I'm happy to have one nice watch, let alone more than one. I'm happy to to be a six handicap and be able to play golf at all, let alone, you know, you know, do, do what I what I do now. And I think that's just a really, you know, if I may say, I think it's a really healthy way to go through life. And like I have challenges just like anybody else. Um, but, you know, I've kind of made peace with with who I am and, and what may or may not come with the future and my own relationships with with friends, with, with my wife, with family. And it's just like, you know, th- there's a lot to complain about for anybody, including the LeBron James of the world, the Roy McElroy is like, you know, everything is relative, but ultimately life is pretty good. And like, if you have friends that you care about and you're out playing golf on a sunny July day, then life is pretty good. And I think like just appreciating that is, is, uh, is half the battle for me. And it are, those, those are the days that I play the best because I'm just happy to be out there. You know, it's so funny. That's that statement seems to be a common thread with every great round that we've talked about. It's never been crystallized that way, yeah. but I'm happy to be here is a great way to live. So let me ask you this, Ben, what yeah. has the flip side been? On the rounds where you shoot high 80s or even low 90s, what is yeah. the alternative? What happens? Yeah, it, it's often days where, at least recently, like I'm, I'm very happy and proud to say I've got an amazing relationship with with my with my wife, with with friends, family, et cetera. It's usually work stuff that mm. tends to get in the way. And, you know, like being an entrepreneur is really challenging. And like there's upside to it for sure. There's independence. There are occasionally financial gains, et cetera, but not often. But the downside is that you're never off. And that like, you know, if things, if, I mean, today is, today is my, my daughter's birthday. Today is, you know, the week between Christmas and, and New Year's. So like kind of like what should be a slow day, but I can tell you, I have a call happening right after this call that like will be very intense. And like, you know, it's, it's, it never ends. And I think like that is, is usually the, the days that, that tend to, to, to go sour on me or days when I'm really not fully committed or I'm not fully aware or present in, in that experience. And so I know golfers, I have, Two friends that are very good golfers that can play with their phone in their hand and be texting nonstop. I don't know how they do it. Like, I just don't know how they do it. You know, if, if my phone's in my hand and I'm trying to answer emails or sometimes even people take Zoom calls while they're on the course, like, it's just not going to work for me. It's still being better than being in the office, of course. But like, you know, if you really want to play well, that that's not going to work for me. The other thing I should say is even though I grew up in upstate New York and I'm currently in Westchester, cold weather is a bummer for me. Like, I just mm. like, you know, I want the ball to fly. I want to feel good. You know, I just, I want to enjoy it. And like warm weather is just kind of hand in hand with that, you know? Totally. Yeah. I don't normally do. I know a lot of people do rapid fire questions at the end. I, we don't normally do that, but I got so many questions 
on Instagram. Okay. I think I owe sure. it to our passengers to end All this right. way. So first Let's question is for someone yeah. that's never used the fair game app, if yeah. we, they know 18 birdies, they know the grind. What, what is yeah. help them understand what the fair game app is for? Yeah. Fair game app is for finding people like you or somebody that, that you might want to play the game of golf with. So it's, it. it's, it's a, it's imagine it's a dating app for golfers. And I think like the, the big thing for me is like, even though I look like your average white guy, you know, which I am, I have a very particular idea of how I want to live my life and who I want to spend my time with. And like, frankly, like I've met so many fucking douchebags over the years, not necessarily in golf or watches, but just in life that I just like, man, like, I don't like, I have so, so few days of my life that I get to dedicate playing golf. I want to find the people that I want to spend that time with. And so fair game is a way for you to connect with people that are like you. And so you can go in and A, you can search by location. So the whole thing is geodad. Say, hey, who's I went to Charleston this past week, as I told you. I went down there and I, I typed in Charleston and I found probably 60 people on the app that are in Charleston. I pinged one of them and said, hey, I'm going to be around. You want to play? And I actually got out to play. So it's a way to connect with people in a way that is far more dynamic and far more um, reasonable than like, you know, searching for people on the gin app or anything like that it's a way to connect with people you can also dm you can create groups you can you can score keep we created something that is effectively akin to a, a gin handicap so you can you know track your rounds you can play games with people it is you know if i if i'm a be you know completely blunt you're like it is an incredibly ambitious app that is still in its nascent days for sure uh, you know my, my co-founders are work on it all the time but it's still just two three guys working on this thing but yeah. the pickup has been amazing. You know, we've got 35,000 people that use it every single month, which is pretty good. We've never spent a dollar on marketing or anything. It shows how how big this world can be if there's a digital product that that allows you to kind of execute it or allows you to bring it together. And I learned so much from the growth of Hodinkee, which is really a community platform that I felt, and so did Adam and, and Eric, Eric Mayville, who's our CEO, felt that there was just like there wasn't a digital brand that could unite people in this way and so you know yeah. you go on there again you can play the games you can gamble you can do whatever but more than that you can find people just like you and i think in in watches and in golf and in cars and any kind of enthusiast hobby it's so easy to get trapped into these little worlds of like you know how much money do you have do you work at goldman sachs or morgan stanley you know did you go to harvard or yale i mean it's like like these little these little micro tribes of obnoxiousness that are, and nothing wrong with any of those companies or yeah. colleges I just mentioned, but like that shouldn't be your, your unique identifying trait, you know? Right. And I think, you know, fair game allows people to find people that are, are like you and you can search for anything you want on there and chat with them. You can comment on people's rounds while they're playing. So you can like, if you went out to go play, I could be sitting at my desk working and I could, you know, give you a hard time about that double bogey you just had. It, it's fun. I mean, in many ways, like we hope it to be a little bit like Instagram is, so that when you're sitting on an airplane or sitting on the toilet or wherever you are, you go open it up and scroll, and it's your golf life, everything right there. Love it. Number two, I actually got this from a PJ Tour pro, told me not to share his name, but I had to share it. He <laughs> sure. asked me, favorite watch to travel in for you, and a yeah. follow-up, if I'm buying my first Patek, which would you go with? Interesting. Favorite watch to travel in? Not a joke. Probably the Tudor Black Bay 58. I wear that watch a lot. Amazing. The watch I'm wearing right now is a, is a Day-Date 36 millimeter that I got from my wife uh, for my 40th birthday. And it's engraved on the back from her. You wouldn't be surprised to learn that like, I don't get a lot of watches as gifts from friends or family member because you know I'm, I guess I'm a hard watch guy to buy for. But this is a super meaningful one. It's you know it's the old man day day thirty six millimeter. I, I wear this watch a lot. Uh, the the follow up question would be uh, or the follow up answer for pet tech. It would really depends on on budget, of course. But I think uh, thirty nine forty um, 
which is probably a $50,000 watch, which sounds ridiculous, but it's kind of like an entry level, but highly complex. It's a perpetual calendar Patek Philippe. That was my first Patek. It is one that will go up in value for sure for the next however many years. It is one that is considered a real Patek in like a very snobby way, but a very real way. And I think you have to, you can't ignore the realities of the snobbery that goes with watches like that. Like there are watches that are time only that are called Calatravas with Patek, which today don't have the utmost prestige around them. And they're, they're going to cost you around 40, 50 grand as well. So to be able to buy, to be able to spend the same amount of money and get that kind of level of prestige and having a real Patek and that is complicated is a great way to, to do it. So 3940 or 3970 would be, would be two that I would recommend for Patek. Okay. Well, I already knew the answer to this next question because sure. I watched a video where you were asked this, but this is the yep. most popular question we were asked. So I'm going to ask it anyways. Yep. Do you wear a mechanical watch on the course? Why or why not? I do not. Uh, I do not. I, uh, I just don't. Uh, I, I, it's not like, it's not like any, like, I, I'm sure any Rolex or Mega could handle it. Richard Mule makes a watch directly for it. I want my wrist to be free, completely free. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. as, as you've seen, if you see my swing on, on our swing thoughts video with Adam, like I have real wrist action, like immense wrist, wrist action. I'm actually concerned about it as I get older <laughs> and I want this to be as free as possible. I will occasionally wear an Apple watch and track steps. But that's about it. But I, I do not wear a watch while I play. I think I probably could. You know, if Richard Meal gave me an RM35 or an RM67 or something like that, like I would definitely do it. But it's also, again, like just kind of a freeing experience for me being on the golf course. Then I think that could be true. Look, I love watches more than anybody, obviously. But it's my career. And at a certain point, like stepping away from it to go out and do something else is, is a nice feeling. Okay. Best watch under two grand? Uh, a Seiko 5, which is highly you know, dramatically under two grand or a hamilton field watch hamilton khaki field watch which is 500 to 800 depending on which one hand wound killer watch the other watches that i've really been into a lot is a brand called unimatic uh, they're based out of milan super stylish dudes we've done some limited editions with them you know they range from 800 to about two thousand dollars super super cool watches and the design is just epic on those you know, the, the Seiko's design is not super great. The khaki field is great, but I mean, it looks like about 20 other watches that are out there. The, the Unimatic watches, some of them are just so cool. And I, I really think have like a very cool point of view for, for that type of price point. Okay. I told a local authorized Rolex dealer, actually, that you were coming on the pod. And he had a question for yeah. you. Sure. He said, explain the new insurance program Odinky has. <laughs> he gets a ton of clients that ask where they should insure their watches. Oh, great. Well, they, they should definitely do that. Uh, so Hodinki insurance is something that we conceived probably six, seven years ago and put into place, launched it probably three years ago for people like us, basically. Like I really struggle with watch insurance because you don't need to have it, but you want to have it. So in the Hodinki app, you can go ahead and take a picture of your watch and have it insured in under 30 seconds. So literally go in here and there's a tab down at the bottom there. If you have the Hodinki app, go to insurance and you can literally say, hey, Here's a Rolex Data or Tudor Black Bay. I bought it for this so and so. Here's where I live, and have it underwritten by by Hodinkee Insurance. Uh, it, as I said, in under thirty seconds. It is completely dynamic. It is the only digital dynamic uh, watch insurance program. So what I mean by that is like, let's say you have three watches. You can only wear one of them at a time, or you only should wear one of them at a time. So the other ones are put away in your safe, in your safety deposit box, somewhere that is like completely secure. Why pay insurance for those watches if you know they're they're totally safe? 
right? And I think it goes back like with cars, they have to be insured all the time. Watches do not. So for me, I keep all my watches in a bank vault effectively. I know they're not going anywhere. They're totally fine. I only pay insurance for the watches that's either on my wrist or here at the house, which is which is not many. And so you can do that change dynamically from the app and you can say, I'll just do it right here. So here's a watch that I have. Here is uh, a pet tech. So right here, it's, it says right now, it says not insured. I can just press that button right there that says add a policy and it's instantly insured just like that. That's and awesome. so that's when, me, when I take it out of the safe. And when I'm done with it, I can just say doop, remove policy and it's it's completely removed. And then your, your billing, which is just tied to your credit card, is, is prorated, obviously. So Amazing. the idea of paying for insurance that you're not using has always been crazy to me. And as a collector, you have stuff that comes and goes all the time. Like you want to be able to do this digitally without having to call an insurance broker. And it's tied to specific watches. A lot of watch insurance is done by blanket policies, which like, you know, you might have a $100,000 or $10,000 blanket policy, but you know, you want stuff specifically tied to watches because then we, we partnered with Chubb on this. You actually get 50% upside protection. So if you buy a watch for 10 and it becomes super hot and you can't get it and it gets stolen or whatever, you can actually claim up to $15,000 in, in cash back. So it's a really, look, I, I got to be honest, it is it is the best watch insurance program by far. And I say that, you know, I look, I, I would never be one to to brag or boast about any product, but I can tell you for sure there's nothing else like this. Download the Hoodinky app. It, it, it's it's right there. Okay. Love it. I'm glad he asked me that question because I didn't know yeah, about Yeah, me too. That. I, I appreciate um, that. Last question. Favorite yeah. John Mayer song? <laughs> that's a good one uh look i as, as kind of cliche as it as it is i think gravity it, gravity it really okay so like, gravity is a great one slow dancing in a burning room is a great one look he i've seen him play many many times and and you know gra both those songs tend to lead him into these solos that are really you know if, if you're a john fan like are pretty pretty special uh, yeah. and i think you know obviously i'm biased i love the guy he's a, he's a very good friend but he really kind of shines in, in those moments because those are songs that are like if you're if you're in the world of John, those are iconic songs, and it allows him to really kind of be the best version of himself. I know he's happy playing them uh, because they mean so much to his community, but also the the guitar work that he does in kind of the interludes in, in those two songs are, are are pretty epic. I'm a big fan of his album Born and Raised, uh, which came Same. out like when John and I first became really good friends. And I think it's probably one of his better albums, but gets kind of like not a lot of love from, from the fan base. Yeah, I agree. Um, but Born and Raised is a great album. Love it. Well, I know you got your 1130. I'll get you to that. But then thank you so much for hopping aboard. I feel like we barely got to scratch the surface, so we'd love to have you back anytime. Yeah, we'd love and, it. Uh, this, this was fun. It really was. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, guys, this is Evan. Before you hop off board, if you love the podcast, and you love our merchandise drops, I think I got something you'll probably enjoy. You go to thepartrain.com, hop aboard our email list, get a free newsletter that keeps your game on track, a little mental nugget every Monday. And then maybe even more importantly, first access to merchandise drops before any Instagram promotion, we send it to our email subscribers first. And so if that interests you, hop aboard the email list at thepartrain.com. Hope you guys enjoyed the ride. Take care.